Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman Jesse Cole speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you. Today's guest is a basketball Hall of Famer, co-founder of Orlando Magic, author of over 100 books, parent to 19 children, 14 adopted from four nations. He served seven years in the United States Army and is now a cancer survivor, an inspiration to me and millions. Pat Williams, welcome to the show. Jesse, nice to catch up with you. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, I'm so excited. Obviously, we connected a couple of years ago and stayed in touch, and I can't thank you enough for endorsing my book as well, Find Your Yellow Tux, but... I first got introduced to you, Pat, when I read your amazing book, Marketing Your Dreams, and would like to briefly talk about that and your story to set some context, because I was fascinated by Bill Veck, and you wrote a book about how Bill Veck had an impact on you. So could you put a little context and share your story with the listeners? Well, I don't know exactly where to begin, but <laughs> let's begin it on the Bill Veck front. In 1962, I was a minor league ball player in the Phillies organization in Miami. We had an off day, and I was downtown Miami, went to Burdine's department store, up into the book section, and there, sitting on one of the tables, was a new book just out. It was called Beck is in Wreck, a story about baseball's incorrigible maverick, Bill Beck. Well, I was a baseball fan of depth and certainly knew who Bill Beck was. I'd always admired him from afar. When I was just a boy you know, running Cleveland, and then came the Browns, and then uh, to the White Sox, and I was always fascinated by him. Anyway, I bought the book. It was pre-signed by him, $3.95, thick, hardcover book. Yeah. Boy, those times have changed. <laughs> I bought the book, read it quickly. I mean, it was a fast, absorbing read. I had a pen with me, and I kept marking different places. I was just fascinated by the book. And when the season ended in 1962, our general manager there in Miami knew Bill Beck and was a friend of his. And uh, I asked if I could have my GM there, Bill Durney, go visit him. I went back to my home in Wilmington, Delaware. Bill Beck then was in retirement, uh, living in Easton, Maryland, about a two-hour ride from my home. And uh, Bill Durney said, yes, I'll set it up for you. And he did. And I was able to go down and see Bill Beck that September afternoon in 1962. It was a life-changing experience. Bill was so kind, so gracious. I expected maybe a quick handshake and goodbye, but he invited me for lunch. I must have stayed there, I don't know, the better part of five hours. And before I left, and uh, little did I realize that five hours was going to be a, a life-changer for me. Bill took an interest in me. I never worked for him, but he was always very good to me, very kind very generous in his uh, wisdom and his offerings and his suggestions and opening doors for me later on as I moved up the sports ladder. So I ended up a few years ago writing that book, Marketing Your Dreams, the life lessons uh, that I learned about sports and life and success from the great Bill Beck. So that's a brief background there. Yeah. But uh, Bill became a role model to me and my 50-plus years 
running basketball and baseball teams really was modeled after the way Bill Vec did it. And I loved reading that because also, Pat, I started in Spartanburg as an intern with a team there, and you started in Spartanburg. And I think, obviously, I have a lot of love. Everyone, my listeners know Bill Vec, but you followed in his footsteps with a lot of the unique things that you started doing in the minor leagues. And I think you understood right away that it was about the customer experience. And it wasn't just about the baseball game. It was about providing fun. Can you share maybe a few of those things that you did back then or have done to create things that are a little unique and fun for the fans? Well, the Phillies sent me to Spartanburg in February of 1965. I was 24 years old and uh, getting that opportunity at a very young age to run my own minor league ball club. We had very supportive ownership, which was great. But I took the VEC philosophy with me, which was make it fun every night. Do things that are going to appeal to fans. Get them talking. Get them coming to the ballpark wondering what's going to go on tonight. That's the atmosphere. We really have no control over what happens out on the ball field. Once the game starts, you know, the athletes are going to play and the game's going to take its own course. But everything else we do... From the time our fans come into the ballpark, we do have control over the cleanliness of your park, the tastiness of your hot dogs, the amount of ice you have in your cold drinks, how your staff greets the fans, fun, creative things that you're going to do to make fans come back and in talking and start spreading the news to their neighbors about we had a great experience out there at beautiful Duncan Park or wherever. And so I've taken that philosophy with me through my NBA days, be it Chicago or Atlanta, the years in Philadelphia, and certainly here in Orlando for the last 30 years, presenting the games in a way that are exciting and fun for the fans and sends them home talking. That's really what we're trying to do. 100%. I think you and I both have the same thing, that we love studying people that have been very successful. And you learned a lot from Vec, and I've now learned a lot from you. And I think that's been something that you have continued to become a sponge as you've grown. And I'm fascinated by, we'll get to this later, on how you've written 100 books, Pat. That's just absolutely crazy, let's be honest. But how to be like Walt. You decide to start following all these amazing people that have done things that unimaginable. How to be like Walt. I am a huge Walt Disney fan. You spent a couple of years researching What were some things that really stood out for you? Because that book has made a bigger impact on me than any book, How to Be Like Walt. So can you share a little bit of how that process went? Well, Jesse, that book actually came out, hard to believe, about, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago now. It's still print. And when I came to Orlando 33 years ago, didn't take long to get Disneyized once you come here to Central Florida. I got very much absorbed with what's going on out at Disney World, but I became particularly fascinated with Walt Disney himself. And we took, I don't know, the better part of four years or so to write that book. Uh, I was able to get a hold of just about every Disney legend who had known him and worked with him way back, uh, got their stories, got their input, and we wrote this book as a motivational biography. There were other biographies of Walt, but this was a book designed to look at Walt's life and what can we learn from it? What can we take from his life? So I'm glad that that book had value to you. It's still in print and I still hear from people who have read it and feel that their lives have been impacted. We've got another 
Disney book coming up. Uh, we're writing it now, Jesse. It'll be out in the fall called Lead Like Walt. Hmm. And we're going to look at Walt Disney through the narrow lens of leadership. When you think about it, he died in December of 1966, a long time ago. But Disney World, and I mean, it's still packing them in. It's got impact around the world. Disney has never been bigger. And I think that goes back to Walt Disney, the leader. So many of those organizations collapse when the top guy dies. But in this case, Disney has gotten bigger and stronger and more impactful. And I think that's a reflection on Walt Disney and how he led. So what can we learn from Walt Disney as a leader? That book will be out, as I mentioned, this fall. That's amazing. And I think you're so right on. It's a true test of leadership. I mean, look at all these great companies that are no longer great companies because it didn't continue on, didn't carry on. But you look at like Chick-fil-A after Truett Cathy passed, they're still going strong. And then Disney World, but there's not many more. I remember one quote I grabbed from your book, which I loved, uh, was from Richard Sherman, the composer. And he said, Walt had a way of communicating that was just magical, simple, but magical. He would give you a challenge and say, I know you can do this. He made you believe anything was possible. He made you proud to be on his team. And it really was a team effort. Walt would roll up his sleeves and go to work alongside the rest of us. He saw potential in people who never had really done anything great before. And that's a great level of leadership. As you're doing research on the new book, what else have you noticed that Walt was able to do to build great leaders and really an enduring company after he was gone? Well, the most important thing Walt had was vision. He had the ability to see way down the road. He saw out in the distance before others. Then he was able to put shoe leather to that vision and turn that vision into reality. I think that's the mark of a great leader. Walt also had the unique ability to communicate his vision. He was a great storyteller. He was a great actor. He could take his dreams and his visions and portray them to his people in a way that got them excited about what he was thinking, what he was working on, got them enthused. And, and as Richard Sherman pointed out, Walt had great people skills. He was not a warm, gushy guy. He was not one to offer verbal praise endlessly, but people trusted him, and he reached out to his people. He challenged them. He pushed them to live up to their full potential. He saw ingredients in them that they didn't see in themselves. He would put them to work on something that they never had experience with, and then he would challenge them that he thought and believed in them. Hmm. Remarkable fan. And so that's why this next book we're writing, Lead Like Walt, I think is should be an important addition to the world of Disney books. Oh, it's all right. I mean, I could talk about Walt for days. I mean, I remember the story you shared and how to be like Walt about when he was making a pitch to a big corporation to sell advertising on the Thunder roller coaster and the big roller coaster. And he gave this whole pitch in front of this whole board and they were all excited and they agreed to buy it on the spot. And one of the people said, what did we just buy? <laughs> because they didn't even know it. We don't talk about that much with leaders, but leaders that can captivate a group, that can galvanize a group and get them so excited that just want to be a part of it. Because Pat, you probably realize this too. And Walt probably realized it as well. He didn't know exactly what the future looked like. He had this big audacious vision. But he was able to get them so excited to go on that path with them, and they didn't even know where they were going, probably. Well, that's a great point. Walt could sell, Jesse. <laughs> if it called upon, he could probably 
have sold a double bed to the Pope. <laughs> he was a great salesperson with his staff, with television executives, advertisers, uh, associates. He was a wonderful salesperson. He did it with great enthusiasm, great excitement. But to be a great leader, you've got to sell. Leaders are always selling. <laughs> Every president of the United States that I've ever studied uh, was constantly selling. Selling his beliefs or selling his approach or whatever. So if the presidents of the United States are the greatest salespeople the world's ever seen, the rest of us as leaders are always selling. And Walt was certainly that. We'll, we'll probably do a chapter on Walt leadership as a salesman. Yeah, I love it. And you know what's interesting? I think sales, Pat, probably has some type of a negative connotation. We know in sports, we're always selling. But, you know, I think with Walt, and correct me if I'm wrong, he was just sharing his beliefs, constantly sharing and emphasizing what he believed in. And I think that's a different way of looking at sales. If you're out there sharing what you believe in and your truths, that's, I think, can bring people together. It is selling, but it's not you're forcing someone to buy. I mean, you're forcing someone to really become a part of it. So I just have one question more with Walt. If he was alive right now, Pat, and you could ask Walt one question, what would you ask him? Oh, that's a great question. I'd probably ask him this. Walt, on your deathbed, you said to your son-in-law, if I could live another 20 years, we would get more done in those 20 years than we have in all the years up to right now. And I would say, Walt, what did you mean by that? Uh, what would those 20 years have been like if you had lived? What was it that was turning inside your brain that you didn't get to see fulfilled? Mm -hmm. Tell us about those next 20 years as you envisioned them. I think that's what I'd want to know. Yeah, so interesting because he had so many different visions for Epcot and all the visions there that never really got to come to reality. That's brilliant. I want to get into your new book, Character Carved in Stone. You mentioned you've researched presidents. You've done a lot on John Wooden. Is there anything else like you're finding this one unifying thing between all successful people that brings them together? Jesse, it's this. They're passionate what they do. They're excited about what they do. They've got great energy for what they're doing. They're enthusiastic. Mm. Yes, I'm sure they have downtimes, discouraging moments. But by and large, every successful person that I've ever written about or studied had great passion, mm. great feeling, I love uh, it. great energy for what they were doing at, on a daily basis. There would be other common ingredients, but that one is what I've noticed with all of them. And it's passion that leads to energy, and that energy leads to getting over adversity and obstacles and keep moving forward. And I'm sure every single one you've studied, especially Walt, the amount of challenges, adversity that he overcame, I don't think people realize he was at the bottom for a lot of his life, and he had to keep climbing up. And obviously, he had passion and a vision. So obviously, I think it's a great segue into character carved in stone, just released. Tell me a little bit about this book. What inspired you to write it? And you know, what's the big message here? Jesse, it was a few years ago, I was invited to go up to West Point and speak to the athletic teams at Army and the coaches. Wonderful experience doing that. And afterwards, they gave me a tour of the campus, and which was fascinating. And eventually, we ended up over in a little park area called Trophy Point, which looks out over the historic Hudson River. And I noticed in this park a bench, and then I looked further, and there were more benches. I counted them. There were 12 of these benches 
concrete benches that were there. And as I looked a little bit closer, I noticed that there was a word, a different word carved into the end of each bench. Words like courage, determination, dedication, loyalty, trust, those kind of words. And I thought to myself, well, what's the story here? So we found out that the West Point class of 1935 had donated those benches. And those words carved in there were there to inspire the students to live by those 12 words as future leaders, military generals, and people that would be leading our country. They wanted them to have those 12 words buried deep within them. Anyway, I came back and talked to the publisher about that, and they liked the idea very much. So the end result is this book. There's a chapter on each one of those qualities. And then we found a West Point graduate who we felt best modeled that particular word. So throughout the book, you will read about Ulysses S. Grant and Dwight D. Eisenhower and Douglas MacArthur. You'll read about Mike Krzyzewski, West Point graduate, who, by the way, wrote the foreword for us. You'll read about General Omar Bradley and others. We had a marvelous time putting it together. Uh, I think it's a book that can really inspire and make a difference in people's lives. It's just out, Jesse. It's just out. Men should be getting into bookstores. Amazon, always a good way to order books. It's a book that I feel maybe the most important one we've written, perhaps, and we'll be getting some early reports in here pretty soon. But that's the name of the book, Character Carved in Stone. Ravel is the publisher. And as I mentioned, Coach K at Duke was kind enough to write the foreword, which really pleased us. That's amazing. You know, I'm sitting here, like probably many entrepreneurs, business owners, and hearing that, my thought process immediately, those are like the core beliefs. Those are the core beliefs of the group there. And how many times do businesses, Pat, they might have something on the wall, but how many times are they carved in stone? And so I think about this from a business standpoint. If you really believe in who you are and what you stand for and your core beliefs, how are you willing to put them in stone and make them stand the test of time? And I think that's a real important takeaway because I'm excited to read the book and hear the stories, but you got to be so committed in your beliefs that in 30, 40, or almost 100 years, like this book, that people will still be living by them. Well, thank you, Jesse. That's well phrased. Those benches have been out there now for many decades through bitter cold winters and uh, hot, sunny summers. But there those benches are, and those words stay engraved. Here they are, compassion, courage. Dedication, determination, dignity, discipline, integrity, loyalty, perseverance, responsibility, service, and trust. Those are the 12. That's powerful. I think anybody, whether you're a West Point cadet or a businessman or a coach, whatever field you're in, those 12 words are a pretty good way to live your life. And you know what's interesting, too, about the words? The words can mean one thing, but it's the stories that back up the words that really mean everything. And we take pride in that here. We have our fans' first way and our six core beliefs. And every week, every Friday, we have our team 
Email us. Let us know what was something that they did that was fans first with our core beliefs. And what were the stories that were created? And that's what we share. And I wonder if there's a story, Pat, that maybe stands out from this book, basically sharing one of those powerful beliefs. Well, that's, the book is filled with stories. And you're going to read a story about Ulysses S. Grant, a West Point grad, and his compassion. That might surprise people. You're going to read about Dwight D. Eisenhower. You're going to read about John Pershing, who led our forces in World War I. You're going to read about Omar Bradley, who was viewed as the soldier's general. You're going to read about Matthew Ridgway, who parachuted on D-Day. He parachuted into France behind enemy lines with his troops. How about that? Mm. Matthew Ridgway was parachuting in with his troops. I'm still moved by that. He wasn't back in, in England getting reports. He was there leading his men. Which really thrills me, Jesse, when you think about it. Great leaders are out front. They're visible. They're available. Great generals were out leading their troops, Mm. not leading from behind. Mm. Amazing. I love it. You got to be on the front line. I want to transition a little bit because I think that's very powerful. But I want to go into you and what you guys have done with your teams. These world-class wows that you talk about. Pat, can you share? I mean, this is... Business done differently. You're talking to a guy in a yellow tuxedo that likes to think differently about wowing the fans. What are some things that stand out for you? Some things that you've been blown, that you guys have been a part of as far as uh, wowing the fans? Well, Jesse, let me take you back when we started everything up down here. Well, we're in our 30th season. But in the two years before that, before we actually played, we had some big decisions to make here in Orlando. Living in the shadow of Disney World, our fans, people here, were used to the Disney form of entertainment. And we felt that if we were not operating at that same level, our fans would probably think, yeah, that's not up to Disney standards. So at the very beginning, we had some decisions to make. One was, do we want to have a mascot? Now, back in those days, years back, Well, uh, Benny the Bull was in Chicago. We had designed him when I was there. But I don't think there were any other mascots in basketball. Maybe the 76ers had one that we had designed when I was there. So we made the decision we were going to create a mascot. We were going to be loyal to him and go with it. And so we did. And that's how stuff was created. Then the next question was, do we want a dance team? Now, aside from the Laker girls... There were no dance teams in the NBA. And our question was, do we want both? Do we want a mascot and a dance team? That was pretty radical thinking. We debated, we went back and forth, and finally we said, let's do both. Nobody had done that. And so now we're making progress. And before our first season started, I don't know, maybe a month before, two guys came, knocked on my door. They were a magician group. Their names were Tim and Giovanni. (laughs) And they said, we have some ideas about bringing magic, sports magic, to your games. We want to do it. Well, we had no idea really what they were thinking. They tried to show us. 
So we made a deal with them. We said, all right, we'll give you three or four games, home games, to strut your stuff, and then we'll make a decision from there. And really didn't think a whole lot more about it. Anyway, they came to the first game, and they had thought this through. It was amazing what they had pulled together. Backboards with a hoop and a ball that they would throw to fans as they worked up into the stands and let fans shoot towards this basket they flipped up over their back and then they came up with these guns shooting t-shirts or things up into the stands plus any number of other things it was a huge hit and unbeknownst to us sports magic was invented right here in our building you go to any nba game today any college game they're all doing it what Tim and Giovanni had invented right here in our building. Love it. Everywhere you go, you see those antics with the guns, and it's all gone up to a much higher level of technology, but it all started here. So the point I'm making is this, Jesse. We knew that from the time people came in our building, we had to give them a huge night of entertainment. We had to provide all the sideshows, everything we could think of, and we still do, and hope that our team plays a good basketball game. But it's the experience uh, first. got to focus on the show first sometimes. So from the time they come in our building an hour before the game, yeah. we want them to be thoroughly saturated with what we're doing. And through the course of the game, we want them absolutely entertained up to the gills. And hopefully they see a good performance. But if they don't, we want them to be thrilled by the skills of NBA players. Mm, if our team loses, at least we want them to be excited that the same they saw James Harden mm. pump in 45 points or they saw the Warriors just play unbelievable basketball. And even though they beat us, we want them to go away saying that was sports entertainment at the highest level. We're trying to. Yeah. Build a great team. We're trying to put a championship-level team together. But in the meantime, as Harry Carey would say, you can't beat fun at the old ballpark. And that's we feel that's very important. I love it. Well, you pioneered some new things, obviously, the dance team and the early mascots. You know, we're trying to do the same with our players who do choreographed dances every game, our breakdancing first base coach, our senior citizen dance team, the Banana Nanas. And then, Pat, you'll like this this year. We're bringing on the first male cheerleading team, the Mananas. So we're going to have men in pom-poms cheering at our games. So it's going to be a circus. But, you know, it's funny. I was thinking there, why doesn't regular businesses, Pat, have mascots? Why don't they have dance teams? I believe in taking things from theater, from the cruise ships. Why doesn't regular business, if accountant had a mascot that danced, why not? And I think that's such a big thing to say about being a sponge. And I've learned a lot of that from you. And I know we're coming close to our time. I want to go into a little bit, Pat, about what you do for your employees, because I'll tell you one book that made a real impact on me that I don't know how much is talked about, but the difference you make. And that book was unbelievable. And there are a few quotes that I absolutely love. At some point in your life, you must decide whether you want to impress people or influence people. You can impress people from a distance, but you must get close to influence people. And I just love that. When you talk about wowing your customers, but really the difference you make is with the people you're around every single day, the people you work with, what can you say about how you care about your people with the Orlando Magic and any of the teams that you've been a part of? 
Well, let's not ever forget, Jesse, that we are not in the basketball business or the baseball business or the uh, coffee business or any business. We're in the people business. And our job is to relate to people, uh, to encourage people, to build them up. We want people to feel good about themselves. And I think it's awfully important if people can rub shoulders with the brass with the president of the team or the president of the company or feel that they have a personal relationship. They shook hands with the guy and they feel very much part of it. I think that's so important. That's where Bill Beck was so good. Hmm. Bill answered his own phone. He opened his own mail. The door to his office was always open. He roamed around his ballpark. I want to say something to that, Pat. I wrote you a letter about the impact your books made on me. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from a number from Orlando, and it was you calling me. And I'm just saying, you are living this example. And I think so many people, they talk about being there for others and helping others. But you called me right in the blue, and we started a conversation, built a relationship, came down and visited you. And I think that is such a testament to who you are. You're not just putting it down in the books. You're living your true self and believing and being who you should be, which is amazing. That was all part of Bill Beck's approach that rubbed off on me. If you called Bill, he would pick up the phone. If you wanted to come see him, probably we're going to go in and get to see him. Mm. In my case, remember, I said I wanted to come down to his house and see if I could meet him when I was 22 years old. And he told me to come on down and told me how to get there and then spend five hours with me. Mm. It's amazing the example he set. So my thinking has been Bill Beck and others were so kind and how they treated me as a very young guy, I feel I, I need to return that now, now that I'm older, and there's a whole army of youngsters coming along that would like to pick my brain. I've got a real obligation to do that. And I'm sure you feel as well that you're still learning, and I think that's the key. The greatest leaders are still constantly learning. I bet you you learn when you're talking to younger people, just like I learn when I'm talking to people in college. And Yeah, it's good great. point. John F. Kennedy years ago said, learning and leadership are indispensable to each other. So I really believe when we stop learning, we really begin to die. And so therefore, Jesse, I'm reading more voraciously now than ever before. That was another Bill Beck lesson, by the way. He was not a college graduate, but he was probably the best educated sports executive ever because he had a great hunger for books. Mm. And uh, nothing thrilled him more than to go into a bookstore back in the day and come out of it with eight or ten new books <laughs> that he wanted. And he would absorb them pretty quickly. Yeah. Back in those days, by the way, those books probably cost three ninety-five or $5. <laughs> Today they cost 30 But uh, he just thrived reading. And so I challenge people constantly. What are you reading? What's your book this week? Mm -hmm. What are you learning from it? Yep. What's your next book? Yep. It's funny. I joke that Amazon knows me better than my wife because <laughs> I'm ordering so many books and we have a better book club here in our office and something maybe with the Orlando Magic, we actually pay all of our people to read. So everyone on our company gets 50 bucks, 75 bucks, and we've paid off thousands of dollars for people to read. And it's been an unbelievable experience because we're teaching that. And obviously learned it from Bill Vec. He died. I think he had like, he was in six books and the hospital bed when he died. I mean, it's crazy. So. Before I get to some rapid fire here to finish out, I'm going to flip the script, Pat. I've been the host grilling you with questions. You are now the host 
of business done differently? You can ask me one question. Well, Jesse, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you about my latest book and why it's important to get it. Character Carved in Stone. It's in bookstores now, and I think it's going to make a difference in your life. Now, Jesse, I'm going to ask you (laughs) this question. What are your big goals? What are your big dreams? What do you want to be doing 10 years from now with your life? Where do you want to be? It's a great question. Well, as I shared two years ago, it hasn't changed. We want to impact the greatest amount of people and how we believe we can do that, which may go against some of the thoughts of a lot of people, but the big dragon we're trying to slay has changed the game of baseball. Unfortunately, what we've seen with the numbers and the attendance and Little League participation declining, we want to get kids back involved in the game. We want to make it faster, more exciting. So our big goal is to do that so we can make a bigger impact for millions. And me, similar to you, I'd love to have a similar path where an author, speaker, on stage, inspiring people to be the best version of themselves. So I hope I, I can have a similar impact to the millions of people like you've been inspired. So thank you. I thought you were be the first person ever really to not ask a question. I was blown away. <laughs> Jesse, what is underneath that hat? <laughs> Look at that. I knew you were a handsome dude. <laughs> now, do you wear that hat? Is that hat part of your makeup? Um, do you wear that? This is my uniform, Pat. Like, you played ball. I played ball throughout college. When I put on my uniform, it was game time. It was showtime. Now, when I wear this uniform, I have seven yellow tuxedos. It's showtime. I'm always on stage, and I'm putting on a show. Back a few years ago, I was probably a little nervous to show up and have lunch with you wearing that, but now I wear it every single day. Now, stand up if you may. I want to see that tuxedo. <laughs> there it is. Look at that. So, so you wear that every day, year-round? Yes. Yes, every single day. Every single day on stage, around, I've, I own seven of them. My staff actually surprised me with a tailored one, which is very nice. But, Yellow tuxedo. Yes. Jesse, I love your imagination. I love your creativity. <laughs> Bill Veck would be absolutely thrilled with you. I will tell you that. Have you gotten to know his son, Mike? Yes, we've gotten to know each other well. When I was 23 years old, you, similar, went to Bill Veck. I went to Mike, and Mike turned to me and said, Jesse, you got to be the face of the team, and you got to get a little crazy. And since that point, over a decade, I've been doing that. So I've learned a lot, and it's been amazing. And I do want to finish, Pat. I know you got going on me. I want to finish with a few couple questions, rapid fire. Sure. What's one thing that you've done to stand out in business or in life? Learn to be a good public speaker. Mm -hmm. Really take seriously the importance of being able to share your message in front of a group. Mm -hmm. Fight through the fear of public speaking. And then make a decision to really work at becoming good at it. Mm. Really develop your speaking skills. Mm. It's vital. Mm. Great. Make sure you've got a a strong message, Mm. well-organized, buffed and polished. Excellent. So that when you leave a group, they say, boy, that organization sounds wonderful because of the way that guy or that lady presented it. Boy, he was so articulate Mm -hmm. and so entertaining. And filled with such wisdom. Wow. We want to go out and see those Savannah bananas. So I think that's what I would challenge awesome. uh, every business leader in every field to really work hard awesome. at being an effective public speaker. Excellent. Three more rapid fire. If you were to give advice to your younger self, what would you tell yourself to do differently? I would uh, probably tell myself differently to start reading. <laughs> Seriously, I've always been a reader. But I'm saying to be a well-read, the greatest compliment you can pay anybody is to say he is well-read or she is widely read. I wish I had started doing that 
in my 20s. I didn't become really serious about reading, really intensely serious, until I was much older. So I think I would have pushed much harder in that whole area of reading when I was younger. Oh, that's great. Now, this is tough. You've been influenced by so many great leaders. If you were to say what's some of the best advice you've ever received, what would it be? Well, when your greatest talent intersects with your strongest passion, you have then found your sweet spot in life, right there at that intersection. And that's where you want to live. That's where you want to work. That's where you want to get paid every two weeks. Right there at that intersection of your greatest talent and your greatest passion. That's the best advice, really, I can give to any person, particularly young people, wanting to know, what should I do with my life? Well, I say to them, what's your talent and what's your passion? And that's where you want to live, right there. It's another one of your top books, too. What was the title of that one? Uh, the Success Intersection yes. is, is that book. It's since been re-released in paperback. Yeah. But that's probably the greatest secret of success I could pass on to anybody. Outstanding. And finally, Pat, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered that I was a difference maker. God had a plan and purpose for my life, and I tried to live out that plan and purpose. In the process, sharing my skills and my beliefs with as many people as I can mm -hmm. to be remembered as a man that made a difference in people's lives made a difference in my family's lives, and had a, a really important impact in this society. I think that would be a good way to be remembered. Well, Pat, you've made a huge difference in my life, and I know many, many more. You shared a story when you were a kid, and one of your bosses said how proud he was of you. It might be weird for someone younger to say that, but I am unbelievably proud of what you've done as a person, a hundred books, the impact you've made. It's much more than you even know. And so I am uh, humbled to be with you, talking again, learning from you, and just thank you for everything you've done. The new book, Character Carved in Stone, right out now. And then another one coming in the fall, Lead Like Walt. Pat, thank you so much. Any final words? Jesse, I'm very pleased that you're doing so well. You've got a creative mind. Keep feeding it. Creativity and imagination can grow. It can expand. There's no really no limit to what you can do when you start thinking creatively. So we're following what you're doing there with great interest. And you got the baseball world looking at you. They're saying, who is this guy down in Savannah? <laughs> well, Listen, you. my son Bobby was the manager of the uh, Savannah Sand Nats years ago, which was a Nationals farm club. I must have gone up there to see, oh, I don't know, six or seven weekends. And if they had 100 ball people, 150 people in the ballpark, Jesse, it was a good night for them. <laughs> the ballpark needed work and so forth. Just kind of a blah evening. Mm -hmm. So to find out what you're doing outside the realms of organized baseball, <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating. I look forward to being there one night when your bananas take the field. That'll be fun. <laughs> we'd love to have you. And I'll tell you, it's the lessons from you and Vec and all the people that we've been able to put into play. And more Good. than anything, have fun. We just like to have fun. And I think that's what it's all about. So, Pat, well, thank you again. Thank you, Jesse. And as Mike Beck reminds us, fun is good. There's Mike. A hundred percent. I'm glad you believe that, Jesse. A hundred percent. Pat, you are a rock star. Thank you so much. All the best to you. Definitely. Well, keep in touch. And uh, seriously, I know it's a challenge, but four and a half hours, easy flights. We would love to have you in Savannah. I'll tell you, it'd be an honor. Jesse, that sounds great. I hope I can do it. All right. Thank you so much, Pat. Take care. 
See you, bud. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. For more information on the guest and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.